But here's what I need you to do. I need, you look at these tables up here, there's these piles of rocks, and every person in this room needs a rock. So we're going to stand up, walk up here, get a rock. If there are people around you um, that maybe can't move as well, get rocks for them. We want to make sure that everyone in this room has a rock. I've been having life-changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective. As long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book, because I know you, you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally, even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I'm offended that you don't have my new book yet. All right, so that rock that's in your hands, don't, don't put it down. I want you to commit for uh, this whole message uh, to holding it in your hand. I promise you I won't go past two and a half hours. So if you can hold it in one of your hands, feel it, know your rock, know, know what it feels like. I, I don't know if, if you've noticed, but right now we live in an age of offense. Um, some of you are offended that you already know what I'm going to talk about. Um, we live in, in an age that where everyone is perpetually offended. Uh, victimhood has gone viral. Uh, everything is about about what offends me. And, and so we run to social media, we run to other people. Uh, we got the, the men are offended, the women are offended, Republicans are offended, Democrats are offended, uh, vegans are offended, atheists are offended, Christians are offended, uh, Cowboys fans are offended. I'm still offended because Des caught it, right? I mean, we, we have reasons to be offended in our lives. And, and it affects everything that we do. Everyone is offended. 
about something. There was a, a vegan group that started a petition to end the use of, of meat-based metaphors in our culture. This is a serious thing. They, they started a petition to end the phrase, bring home the bacon. And they wanted to change that to bring home the broccoli. <laughs> that, so a, animal rights activists caught wind of this, and so they began petitions to end uh, phrases like, uh, you're beating a dead horse. And they wanted to change that to, you're feeding a fed horse. Uh, the, the, the saying, uh, you can kill two birds with one stone, they wanted to change to, you can feed two birds with one scone. And these never took off, but these, these are people that, that are offended. And, and we laugh at that, but, but it's things that, that mean a lot to someone that, that has, in their mind and their perspective, crossed a line to where they are offended about the offense that has been brought to them. And everyone in our age is offended about something. So as Christians, how do we live in a culture of offense? Let's pray. God, we, we profess this morning, we believe that your word is living and active. And so I ask this morning that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say through the power of your word. That as we encounter your word, as we encounter you this morning, that we don't walk out these doors the same way about the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives are transformed more and more into your likeness. So would you give us ears to hear what you have to say? Would you pour through me the gift of preaching, that every word that comes through my mouth is filtered through the gospel? I submit that to you this morning, and I pray that hearts are open to receive what you have to say. In the name of Jesus, the church said, Amen. Hey, we're going to be in Judges 15 this morning. As I was telling Barry this week uh, what I was preaching about, uh, I told him Judges 15, and he said, oh, we're going left. Most of the time when we open the Bible, we go right to the New Testament. This morning, we're going left. So turn to Judges 15. So there's a story in Judges 15 about Samson. Now, we're going to pick up in the middle of Samson's life. And where we're picking up, the offenses have already begun to add up in Samson's life, because the previous action that we're about to start after is Samson got married, and as he was getting married, something happened between him and his wife. So in Judges 15, we pick up and it says that Samson was taking a goat to his father-in-law's house where his wife was staying. He takes the goat, and he says, I want to go, I want to, go to my wife's room. Now, obviously, there's innuendos in why Samson has come to this house, and the father says, oh, about that. Um, I was so sure that you thoroughly hated her that I actually gave her to your friend. At first service, there was somebody who said, oh boy. <laughs> so he gives Samson's wife to Samson's friend, but he's got a suggestion because the father-in-law says, I gave her to your friend, but, but here's her younger sister. How about her, right? And Samson uses this phrase right here. He says, now I have a right to get even. And we see the offendability and the offenses are beginning to add up in Samson's life. So naturally, Samson does what every one of us has done before. Samson goes, he catches 300 foxes, ties them together tail to tail, puts a torch in between each pair, lights the torch on fire, and sends these foxes to the fields of the Philistines. We've all been there, right? Not necessarily a knee-jerk reaction. This took time to develop. 
And what we see is basically the first, one, one of the, a case of economic terrorism that takes place in the Philistines' community. Uh, the crops are burned up. The olive gardens are burned up. All of these things are destroyed. And so the Philistines come together and they say, who did this? And this is where we read scripture through our, through our, t- our own tone, our own perspective. And, and what I see is this one guy kind of raises his hand. And he's like, well, obviously it was Samson. Did you hear what they did to his wife? His father-in-law gave his wife away. So yeah, it's him. So what do they do? Well, their response is in reaction to Samson doing that to their fields, they go, they get the father-in-law, they get the wife, and they kill them. And now Samson says, since you have acted this way, since you did this, I will not sleep until I get revenge for them. And he just goes on this tear the Philistines, and he begins killing people, and, and people are being slaughtered. And then he goes and he hides in this cave, and the, and the Israelites come, come to Samson and say, say, hey man, the Philistines, they're trying to catch you. We don't really want this problem, so can we just turn you over to them? Why did you do this? And Samson says, this is the third phrase that I want you to catch that Samson says. He says, well, I, I merely did to them what they did to me. And so they turn Samson over to the Philistines. As they're turning him over, he breaks the ropes. And again, naturally, most of our reaction, he picks up a jawbone and he kills a thousand people. I've never killed a thousand people with the jawbone before. I don't know what that feels like. Ten, maybe. A thousand, no. (laughs) But we see the offenses begin to add up in Samson's life. And here's what I want you to realize about remaining offended about things. Number one, when we are offended about something, it bloats our ego. It turns everything to our perspective about us. We remove ourselves from any responsibility, from any um, hand in the action that has happened. We wash our hands of it and we say, you did this. This is what was done. I'll teach them a lesson. It's our responsibility now to teach them a lesson. Have you ever had anyone, anyone do that? It usually goes well when someone tries to teach you a lesson when they're offended about something, right? It bloats our ego into we are now the judge. I'll teach them a lesson. They deserve blank. The second thing that it does is it, it justifies our morality that outside of that offense, we would never do. My guess is if you would have asked Samson before that action, hey, have you ever tied up 300 foxes and sent them through a field together? He would say no, but he was so offended that that was his action. Have you ever been there before? You were so offended about something that it caused you to do something that you would never do. But you know what Samson's response was? I merely did to them what they did to me. Because offense always escalates to something else when it's left in circulation. You see, what started as a tiff between a husband and wife grew to the father-in-law, grew to the Philistines, grew to people being killed, grew to a thousand people being killed because offense escalates when it is left in circulation with something else. What are the ways we escalate it in our culture? Number one, gossip. Did you hear what blank did to me. Or or maybe, you know, we get offended for other people, right? We get offended that someone else isn't offended, so we get offended for them, whether it involves us or not. And so we begin to say, did you hear what so-and-so did to so-and-so? And now 
down the road, it's just like the telephone game, where down the road, truth is so distorted that even the original people might not even know what really happened anymore. All because of offense that we allowed to remain in circulation in our life. And also, offense roots justice in you. That you become now the person that it's about. Have you ever noticed that, that when we run to social media about offense or when someone's telling you about something that happened to them, they're always the protagonist in their story? That very rarely is someone so offended and says, this was my responsibility in this situation. But it's about someone else. This is what they did, and I hope they get what they deserve. Samson says it this way, since you acted like this. He removes the whole 300 fox thing from the equation and says, since you acted like this, this is what I'm going to do. It's inevitable in our lives that offenses are going to come up against us. Scripture tells us that. Stumbling blocks are going to come, it says. Persecution is going to come, it says. Offenses are going to come. But how as Christians do we handle when offenses come at us? Because what, when offense happens, offense is an event. Offense is something that's saying, you did this. But being offended, offended is how we respond to the offense. And so all throughout Scripture, it says offenses are going to come. But you know what it never says in Scripture? It never says, and get offended about them. Because offenses are inevitable, but offended, offended is an option. Being offended is a choice. Being offended is a choice to stay in something that you are not meant to stay in. So as Christians, how do we choose to live unoffendable Lives. And I know that's not a word, but this morning I'm making that a word. Unoffendable is now a word for the Christian culture. Can we do that? Okay, here's what I'm not saying, because I want to be really, really clear, because I know there are things in your lives that have happened that need to hear this, this word right here. I am not saying that when offenses happen in your life, you're supposed to condone and approve them. Being unoffendable does not mean I approve of the action, nor do I condone of it. Being unoffendable does, is not me sitting waiting for someone to apologize either, because truth is, that day's probably never going to come. You can sit there and wait for it all you want, and all that does is it keeps the, the offendability in circulation, and it keeps it in escalation. Being unoffendable does not mean that it's eliminating consequences from the situation either. There are people who have been wronged legally that, that legality still needs to run its course. And there may be consequences for a person in that. But that does not mean you stay offended against them. Being unoffendable is not forgetting the situation either. One of the, the, the phrases that, that is so non-scripture, another new word for you, is forgive and forget. There are situations in our lives that it would be very foolish to forget those situations. If you've been a victim of abuse, it would be very foolish to forget 
the abuser, but we can be unoffended against them. Choosing to be unoffendable does not mean that it's restoration or reconciliation of a relationship that was harmed. You know, maybe you've been offended by something and and the other person doesn't see it as a big deal and they say, "Why, why are you so upset about this? Why can't you just get over it? We can be unoffendable, but that doesn't mean we're best friends again. It doesn't mean everything goes back to normal, but it does mean that I'm not going to allow it to to affect me anymore. So, So here's what being unoffendable means, and this is what I'm calling you to this morning. Being unoffendable means I am no longer going to allow this offense to steal my joy in life. One, one, one theologian puts it this way. He says, when we choose to remain offended, it's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Because all that happens when we remain undefended is it kills us from the inside. It steals our joy. It steals our life. And it, and it grows and it grows and it grows until it kills us from the inside. And what the Jesus way calls us to is to be free from that. Being unoffendable means that we're setting someone free from the offense against us only to find out that the person that was being set free is me. That I'm putting down the chains of offendability so that my perspective can shift back to the cross. So that my perspective can shift back to the way that Jesus has set before us. Being unoffendable means this. It means that I'm going to pray before I push post. It means that I'm going to pray before I push send. Because one of the biggest All right, I'm going to preach this morning, all right? One of the biggest ways that I see Christians hurt people with offendability is when they get offended and run straight to social media and use passive-aggressive talk to talk about what happened to them, either out of victimhood or out of martyrdom or out of some way to get the focus back on themselves, which goes back to offense escalates our ego, and it turns it to about us. Can we commit to praying before we post? And offense me, being unoffendable means that I'm going to pour out what has been poured into me. You want to know how Jesus handled offenses? He uses this phrase right here. He says, Father, forgive them because they know exactly what they're doing, Right? Father, forgive them. Why? Which goes back to the ego. Because when we get offended, we automatically assume the thought process that's going through someone else's head. Right? How many times have you, either you yourself been offended or you heard someone's offended and they, they say what happened to them and they say, this is what they were thinking when this happened. Well, did they tell you that? No. I just know that's what they were thinking. Man, you're good, right? 
How many times are we driving down the road? All right, I told you I'm about to preach. How many times are we driving down the road and you're the only non-idiotic driver on the road at that time because you know what's going through everyone else's life or their situation or their thought process when they merge in the traffic that they, you, all right, I drive an hour to work every day and there's one spot that it goes from three lanes to two and everybody on the road at 5.30 in the morning knows that it goes from three lanes to two right there, but still wants to go ahead and merge, right? Man, that offends me. How many times have you been sitting at a little league baseball game And everyone knows that that 18-year-old umpire out there hates their team. (laughs) At a basketball game, everybody knows that that 40-year-old referee has it out for their, well, we're playing the refs today, right? We're playing five on seven. And that guy doesn't care about your team. You're not that important. (laughs) Are we willing to pour out? what has been poured into us? Will we attempt to see offense from a different perspective, from a different lens? I used Adam at first service. He's sitting here again. So Adam, come on up. All right. So when I, let's say Adam and I are in conflict with each other. I I wear glasses sometimes. So when I have an offense, I see things through my lens of offense. This is how I see things. Adam sees things through his lens, okay? So if we were to, to trade glasses and I attempt to see things through his lens, I did this at first service and I can tell you, whoo, I can't see things through, through Adam's glasses, but it gives me a different perspective. It helps me see where is he coming from in this offense. We don't have to agree. I can't see a thing through Adam's glasses. I don't know if he can see it. Yeah, he still can't see. <laughs> but it gives me a different perspective on what the offense is, rather than just saying, I'm only going to commit to seeing things through my lens. What are things like in Adam's life? What brought him, let's say he offended me. What happened that made him act that way? Because like Samson, it didn't just jump straight to the foxes. It started before that. It started with the offense and the choice to be offended before that. Let's take it another notch. What if, what if we attempt to see things through the eyes of the cross? I heard, heard a, a preacher a number of years ago talking about when he was visiting another church, and he was sitting on the back row, and the preacher stood up on stage, and, and he had this big wooden pulpit, and the pulpit was this huge cross. And this, this guy that's sitting on the back road said, the whole time I'm having to look around the cross to see the preacher. And so I asked him afterwards, I, I said, why, why do you preach behind that? We can't see you. And he said, because every word that comes from my mouth, I want to go through the cross. And what if that's how we lived our lives? The offenses that come against us in our life, what if we viewed those through the eyes of the cross? What would be different about our lives if we said, Father, forgive them? because they don't know what they're doing. Even when we think that they do. Even when we think we know exactly why that happened. You see, here's my prayer this morning. Is that in our submission to live a life that is unoffendable, 
that those, those stumbling blocks, those things that come in front of us that bring offense against us, that we would turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones to get over our offense. And I don't care really if this offends you or not, but there are people in this, lo- in, in this room right now whose lives are at such a high level of offendability that you need to hear these three words, get over it. There are people in this room who have been really harmed by things. And my prayer for you is not just to get over it, but let's begin a process of stepping through it. Because dropping our offenses doesn't mean everything's better tomorrow. But it means that when I wake up tomorrow, my goal is for my first thought to not be, man, I want to kill that person. I call that progress. Okay? And then the next day, let's step, let's step, let's step. And some days we're going to be called back to those same offenses. But as we grow spiritually, our level of offendability should decrease. As Christians, we should be the least offendable people in the world. But our level of offense is so high. Why? Why are we so, here's another, here's another phrase you're going to take this morning. Why are we so quick to go to rage five? Rage five is not an actual scale, but that's what I call really mad. Why are we so quick to go to rage five in situations? Rather than viewing things through the lens of the cross. Can we turn our stepping stone or our stumbling blocks into stepping stones in our lives? In John 8, there's a story. Jesus is, is teaching. It's early in the morning. He's teaching. And it says, the chief priests, teachers of the law, drag this woman in front of him. And they throw her down. And they say, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. Our law commands that we stone her. But what do you say? Now, there's a lot of, a lot of different routes Jesus could have gone with this. I'm no expert on adultery. I believe that if my math is correct, it takes two people. Only one is brought before. So he, he, does, he could have said, hey, well, where's the other person? We're going to stone him too. But what scripture tells us is this situation was set up to be used as a trap to bring offense against Jesus, to catch him, to hold him liable. He could have said, where's the other person? He could have said, well, that's what your law says. Go for it. Why not? But you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say anything. Sometimes that's the best route to take. He bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. If you could put yourself in in the shoes of these people who have have circled around this woman, I I wonder what's going through their minds as Jesus writes in the dirt. Are, Are they clenching those stones tighter? because they know what's about to happen? Is the, is the energy getting to grow? The excitement maybe for some? Some of these people may not have even, even known this woman, but they hear there's a stoning about to happen, and man, that might have got some people really excited in the town. Some of these people may have known the woman, 
And they might have said, you know what? Finally, she's going to get what she deserves. Where's my stone? Some of these people, it had nothing to do with the women, but they held such high regard for the law that they were so offended that the law was broken, that action has to be taken for atonement for this woman. And Jesus writes in the dirt, and he looks up and he utters this one phrase. He says, hey, if you haven't sinned, there she is. Throw your rock. And one by one, the stones drop. I've often wondered in, in that, did, did some of the people come back later to see if the woman was still there? As, as they left, did, was there a thought in their mind that changed? It's like, you know what? I am going to go give her what, what she deserves. And they go back to try to pick their stones up. So you have the stone in your hand. And here's what I want to call you to this morning. There's these markers up here. I don't know what in your life has offended you. I don't know what offense has been brought against you. For some of you, it may be an employer, maybe an employee, maybe a coworker, a spouse, a parent, a child, a driver out there, somebody in this room, a pastor. I don't know what's offended you in your life. Some of them are, are really hard things. Some of you have been abused. And you've, hold, you've held that offendability so high. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have had business transactions uh, gone wrong. Some of you have been fired. Some of you have been lied to. I don't know what your offense is. But here's what I do know. Is that the cross says offendability ends here. So, there's markers up here on these tables. And I want you to come up and just on your rock, I want you to write down what has offended you. And then there's these buckets that we're going to put out. Drop your offense in the bucket. Drop your, your offendability into the bucket. It's a process that we're asking for progress on. If you come back tomorrow, these rocks will not be here. It's not an option to come pick it back up. And these are illustrations for our lives because in honesty, in your life, it is an option to pick it back up. But when we drop our rocks today, I want you to make a commitment to yourself that as I drop this rock, I'm letting my my offenses, I'm letting the things that have brought death into my soul, I'm letting those go. And I want you, I want you to feel your rock. I want you to hear it as it hits this. But what the cross tells us is that it ends here. 
Because here's, here's what Isaiah 53 says. It says that, that Jesus took up your infirmity. I used the wrong word there. Took up your iniquity. He took up your sin. He took up your offenses. And he took them to the cross. What didn't happen is three days later when he, when he rose from the dead, those didn't come with him. But you know what did? Life. So whatever it is that's stealing your joy, leave it here today. So I'm asked, let's all stand. And we're just going to take 10 minutes or so. We're not in a hurry. I know, I know we got a lot of people in here and we're going to take time for everyone. Our prayer team is going to be up here with you if there's something that, that you want to join in prayer with. I want to invite you that if there's someone that you're here with, if you're here with a spouse, if you're here with a friend, um, join in prayer with them. It's really, really hard to drop things and move on alone. Here's one other thing I want to say that I forgot earlier is there's people in this room that have been wronged by the church, that have been offended by the church. And I want you to hear this. This, this came from, from a Dr. Robert Madu. And he says, never project the nature of man onto the character of God. And so if you've been wronged by the church, I am so sorry. But one of the beautiful ways that God has woven things together that it's often the church that renews and restores hurt from the church. Don't run away. Don't hide. Be restored. Drop our offense. So God, we ask today, as you shine light into our darkness, as you bring conviction, would you give us strength? Would you give us courage to conquer whatever it is that, that's been held against other people? That the, the cycle, the circulation of offense would end in our lives and that we would fall into the flow of Jesus Christ that calls us into something more, that calls us into something greater, that calls us into the inheritance that you have promised us. Give us ears to hear in the name of Jesus. Amen.